Welcome to the Tennessee Achieves podcast, dedicated to and inspired by our students who for over a decade have broken cycles, conquered obstacles, overcome barriers, and exceeded expectations. In turn, our students have also inspired Tennessee Achieves, a nonprofit designed to increase the percentage of Tennessee students earning a college credential. Operating in partnership with Tennessee Promise, Tennessee Achieves works with thousands of high school students each year as they transition to and through college. We believe successful students result in thriving communities. The Tennessee Achieves podcast will share stories of students, their mentors who provide encouragement, and our countless partners who contribute to this movement. Each meant to leave you a bit smarter about transitioning from high school to college and a bit shrewder about navigating college. No one loves Tennessee Achieves more than me. Here we go. Hello, and welcome to the Tennessee Achieves podcast. You may recognize a new voice on the other end of this today. My name is Graham Thomas. I am the Deputy Director of Outreach and Partnerships at Tennessee Achieves. And don't worry, you're still going to get a lot of Chrissy today. Um, today, we are flipping the script, and we are going to interview the interviewer. Um, so today is going to be about Chrissy and um, a little bit of her background, um, what brought her to Tennessee Achieves. So you're going to get to hear some more of the creation story uh, building a lot off of what she and Randy had talked about today. So um, just to provide a real quick introduction, um, I've been at Tennessee Achieves for 10 and a half years. Chrissy has been my boss the entire time, um, a mentor, someone that I have um, learned, uh, I would probably say almost everything I know um, in the professional space um, from Chrissy. She's a person that wakes up every day, relentlessly focused on student success, um, is working around the clock to make sure that more students in Tennessee have an opportunity to attend college, to graduate from college, to make a better life for themselves and their family. Um, and honestly, someone I couldn't imagine doing this work with anyone else. So today we're going to take a little bit of a deep dive on Chrissy, her background, um, the creation of Tennessee Achieves. And with that, we'll welcome Chrissy back to the podcast. I mean, I'm blushing a bit from that introduction. I didn't know that you liked me so much. So this has started off fun for me. Yeah, I was uh, trying to make sure I didn't look at you too much while we were doing that. But i um, <laughs> excited to do this today. Um, and, uh, you know, I think for anyone that's listening to this that has seen you speak before, um, heard you on one of our webinars at a mentor training at any of the Tennessee Achieves events, um, you know, I think one of the things you're very open and honest about it. I think it really plays true to the story here at Tennessee Achieves um, is your background as a rural Tennessee kid, first generation college student. So why don't you just kind of start out, tell us a little bit about um, your childhood and how you think your experience as a, as a rural Tennessean first generation college student helped to the creation of Tennessee Achieves. Yeah, I think there's like a, a, a pivotal moment for me when I realized that being a first generation kid was somewhat of a badge of honor as opposed to something to be ashamed of or fearful of. And so now when we talk about the story of Tennessee Achieves or any time, especially that I talk to a group of students, it's a, an important message for me to share with students and families like, hey, I've been there too. I totally understand in many ways 
what you're going through, what you're feeling. But yes, I grew up in McMinnville, Tennessee, MacMinnville. If you're my dad, Jeff Walker, who we talk about often mm-hmm. at Tennessee Achieves, he's sort of a uh, a folklore of a of a human being. It's but a bit of a legend around these. He parts. really is. Uh, he's got some wild and wacky sayings, but he's very grounded and very humble, and certainly someone that I look up to. But uh, I grew up in a 623 square foot home. I only know this because when I was uh, writing, drafting my first commencement speech a few years ago, I actually looked up to see how small the house, in fact, was. Uh, we grew up incredibly um, wealthy in many ways, but modestly um, in the means of, of household income. Um, I was an only child. My mom was 16 when she had me and my dad was 19. So I often say we grew up together. Um, but I had incredibly supportive parents while neither neither of them went to college. They both were incredibly supportive. My mom often liked studying spelling words with me and making sure that I was always on top of my game, academically speaking. Uh, when it came time to go to college, though, we just missed so many things. Completing a FAFSA, which I 100% would have been a Pell-eligible student, uh, applying to more than one college. I mean, I'm incredibly thankful that I got into Swanee because I don't know that I had a plan B. It was just plan A or bust. Um, And so when we think about Promise, for example, being so many students plan B and our message of always having uh, that backup plan in case your plan A doesn't work out, I'm thankful and grateful that my plan A worked out so beautifully. But for many of our students, it it doesn't work out. And, And so that journey for me was... Um, incredibly eye-opening. And when we launched Knox Achieves that later became Tennessee Achieves, um, who I am is very much part of what this organization became, like the underdog kid, like scrappy trying to make her way to and through what can be a very scary, intimidating, bureaucratic process. And we're here to try to eliminate some of that for our students. So tell us a little bit about your college experience, first-generation college student at Suwannee, um, what was that first semester like? What were those first few days like? Were there any of those you know, give up moments where you thought about walking away? Um, what what was that like for you? And I think what lessons did you learn that you can look back on now um, and carry into this work? Well, the first semester was like a full blown nightmare for me in many ways. I found myself often in sort of internal crisis mode. Uh, When my parents dropped me off, uh, I didn't realize every other parent was staying. My parents moved me in and and left. And there was like an entire parents weekend for me to navigate without my parents. And so, um, you know, navigating that space alone was terrifying. I often tell students that my very first paperback, having graduated top of my class from my large rural high school, um, said, have you ever written a paper before? And so it was incredibly deflating for someone who had always sort of prided themselves on uh, producing good work. And I had many of those moments. I think you and I have talked about the chemistry professor that I had who I got chickenpox my first semester. So I missed 10 days of chemistry, which was just a disaster on every level because I was already monumentally behind but I had enough like dig in. I never had a moment of walking away. I knew I wanted a different life. Not that my parents didn't have an amazing life, but I just wanted something different. 
And I remember reaching out and asking him like, hey, I, I know that I'm not doing well and I know I can do well, but I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And him making the time during office hours after every class to ensure I was successful in that class. So I had a lot of initiative. I had a lot of drive. I had a lot of fire in my belly. And I think that's what saw me through all those sort of crisis moments that I had that I'm sure many of our students have. And it's you make the choice of I want to be here. I want to stay. And and that was the choice I made very early in my days at Swanee. You talked a little bit at the beginning about embracing that first generation college student as a badge of honor. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot here at Tennessee Achieves is finding your Tennessee Achieves voice and finding your story that makes you relatable to this work. Um, was it hard for you to embrace that? Um, and if it was, what was the point where you realized that it is a badge and I think one of the things I've always admired about you is that you are so comfortable to share that, to share your story. Um, and I think that's what makes you so relatable in this work. So what was that transformation like for you? Yeah, sure. In the beginning, especially during my four years at Swanee, I didn't want anyone to know. Uh, I was very much, I don't even know that there was like a word for it at the time. I don't remember back in 97 when I started as a freshman at Swanee that first generation was a, the, the word that we know it to be today. I just know that all my friends were different. Uh, their parents were doctors and lawyers and professionals. And my dad drove a race car and my mom worked in a factory really hard. Both my parents worked really hard, but it was just a different um, environment. And so, no, I didn't want anyone to know then. So I wasn't walking around uh, Swanee, like sort of toting the first generation flag. I may have been the only one, quite frankly. Uh, but I think once I got to graduate school, when I landed at UT and um, UT was so much bigger, so much more diverse, I started teaching uh, and I really took the teaching part of being a doctoral student. Uh, that was sort of what I wanted, I thought to do at the time. And I realized very quickly that I could stand and lecture or I could engage the students and Part of engaging the students was somehow finding a way at 24 to be an authority, but also being relatable, which was a really fine line. But I started talking to my students at that point about, hey, you know, I was the first one in my family to go to college, too. Or I grew up in McMinnville. Have you ever heard of Warren County nursery capital of the world, by the way? It's our claim to fame. But I started realizing the power of like being open and sharing my story with students. And then ultimately, as you know, when we launched Knox Achieves, I became really open about it because the first generation lower to lower income student in the beginning was really our target audience. And so I, I wanted to be uh, relatable to them and, and help them understand like you're not the first one. And I also had those same questions and it was scary for me as well. When I started working here so, uh, 10 and a half years ago, so from Sewanee, graduating with your undergraduate, moving on to UT and master's and doctoral student, um, one of the first things my mom asked me was, what made her go from being the first person in her family to go to college to wanting to earn a doctorate? So talk a little bit about that. How did you not only decide to break the one cycle, but to continue on? I think I just have always, my my entire family, I'm like the weirdo, um, I think. I just have really always loved school. You know this about me. I love learning. Uh, I'm still like such a super nerd in many ways. And so I think I came out hardwired for like a love and a passion for learning. I mean, I still feel like every day I'm trying to to learn something new, whether it's um, pertinent to Tennessee Achieves, pertinent to higher ed, or just 
trying to be a better human in the space or a better mother or whatever the case may be. Like my, my brain is constantly wanting uh, to gain knowledge that I didn't have the day before. And so I think it just was uh, hardwired that way. I never like set out to be a doctoral student. I just really loved learning. And I also, as you know, because you're this way too, like I'm a political geek. So political science, like studying about the process of the Supreme Court, all of that like really fascinated me. And I didn't even know that there was a major like political science when I went to Swanee. And I remember sitting uh, in the classroom, Barclay Ward, Dr. Barclay Ward, who's this amazing professor. I was just transfixed with everything he had to offer. And he worked on the nuclear non-proliferation treaty in the early 90s. And I thought like, what is, I don't even know what that means. And so just constantly being fascinated with that. So I think the doctoral program is mostly like me just being incredibly interested in that topic. And I feel that way about higher ed. I feel that way about leadership books that you and I both swap and read. So I think I'm just uh, a consummate student. So you went from UT to, you landed at the Knox County Mayor's Office with Mike Ragsdale, who started our program. So talk to us a little bit about your early career um, and kind of what led to the, um, you know, in the previous podcast, if you haven't listened, Randy Boyd was here, talked a little bit about that. Um, but from your side, so Randy got the call, but talk to us a little, a little about a little bit of that legwork, but early career into the creation of Knox Achieve. So Mike Ragsdale, Mike Arms, um, who's the chief of staff at the time, I always say I credit them with bringing me to the dance. I was like a 24-year-old, didn't know what I really wanted to do. Once I got into a doctoral program, I realized like maybe, maybe academic life wasn't exactly the road that I wanted to go down. And so I really did sort of stumble into the office and say like, hey, can I sit here and watch how local government works? I'm just fascinated by local government. I was studying it but never had actually seen it in action. So um, they allowed me to stay. I, I ran the mayor's reelection campaign having zero experience. I think they just wanted someone who would work very uh, work a lot of hours for very little pay. But I was like, so again, sort of a consummate student, like I will dig in as much as I can and and learn. And, and so they brought me on as deputy chief of staff and uh, I was a speech writer, which I loved, I love, I love to write. Um, but also uh, over workforce development initiatives. That was a big buzzword um, at the time, 05, 06. Everyone was starting to talk about the importance of workforce development, economic development. And so uh, being in many ways sort of the point person for the county in that space led to the, the, the idea of thinking about these students who were graduating from high school in Knox County every year and not pursuing any type of post-secondary and being sort of the, the coming off of uh, a data-driven PhD program. I wanted to know everything I could about the one-third that were not pursuing post-secondary. And what we found is they were kids just like me, uh, first-generation, low-income kids, uh, kids who had a great amount of potential, but no one ever provided them with the opportunity. And the mayor had such a great vision to provide every student this opportunity. And then when Randy Boyd stepped into the space, that vision became a reality very quickly. I mean, you know the story, but um, I remember meeting with Randy for the first time in the mayor's office and it was an hour pitch. And then 30 minutes later, he called and said, I've raised $2.3 million in cash and pledges. Like, who are you? Right. <laughs> right? People might want to, I, I want to know who you are if we're investing in dollars and you're planning on leading this initiative. And it was such an exciting call, but if you told me then 
that we would be here now. I would think you were crazy. But then thinking back on Mike Ragsdale and Randy Boyd and Tim Williams and Rich Ray and Bill Haslam, all the people that got on board, uh, I should have known that we would be where we are now because we just had such a, it was a dream team, a, a board that was uh, supportive financially, but also brought in cre- incredible ideas and and brought to the table, um, quite frankly, a skill set that it didn't have with accounting and metrics driven and all the things that we know now to be embedded in Tennessee Achieves were just brought to me from the very beginning and allowed such a solid foundation for us to grow. What was that like, a PhD in political science, working in local government, and all of a sudden you're surrounded by business guys um, who often speak a different language, um, think a different way. What was that growing process like for you? So it's it's always these like humbling moments for me, Graham, in many ways where I have to get comfortable, for example, with saying like, hey, I'm a first generation low income kid. I had to get really comfortable very quickly with saying like, I don't actually know <laughs> what right. you're asking of me. Like, can you walk me through? I remember sitting down with Rich and you've heard the story multiple times saying, I took multi-dimensional calculus in college. I never took any sort of accounting class. I have no idea where to start. And and he was patient and walked me through it multiple times over. And so I think the board and I, uh, I say this to them often, they uh, taught me and allowed me to grow up with them, um, giving me the tools I needed when I needed them, also stepping back and allowing me to take risks and make mistakes and learn from my mistakes, which is sort of how my brain works. Uh, And so it was um, probably really bumpy in the beginning, me trying to figure out. And I had a lot of different opinions, as you can imagine, coming out of the mayor's office. It, it did become a splashy front page program from the very beginning here in Knox County. Um, but we, what was important to me always is that the students stayed at the center of the conversation. Um, and if I was always coming from a place of students first, I, I knew that I could grow and build and, and lead a successful program. And I think that's one thing that we've stayed to, true to. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about the early years. Um, so what was that launch like and what were what were the big goals? What would you say were the early wins, maybe some early challenges? And what do you think about those early Knox Achieves days? Uh, did you learn that helped you build Tennessee Achieves? And, and we'll go from there. Yeah, that's a, those are a lot of questions. Uh, it was a lot of questions <laughs> in one sentence. I, uh, the launch was fantastic. I remember where we were at Fulton High School in the auditorium. It was packed. Um, People who, I think because we gave them something incredibly tangible to get behind, right? You could support the program financially. You could step up and be a volunteer mentor and help students transition from high school into post-secondary uh, the community service component allowed nonprofit and other type organizations to quickly get on board. You can't underestimate the power of the bully pulpit from the mayor's office in the beginning uh, and the governor's office when we launched Tennessee Promise. It opened a lot of doors that other nonprofits, quite frankly, may not have had in the early days. So I could say I'm Chrissy Alejandro from the mayor's office, uh, and that pulled our counselors on board very quickly. And so there was a lot of buy-in in the very beginning, I think because again, we brought this dream team powerhouse board um, with us, but 181 mentors recruited the first year, which exceeded our expectations. 
uh, 493 students recruited. And we were really targeted back then in a way that Tennessee Promise is sort of every kid applies now. Uh, we went to our school counselors and said, we want the student who never thought that college was an option and we want to bring them into our program. I think the first three years, as you know, you came on year two of the program. Uh, we just continued to exceed expectations, specifically in retention and completion, which was the ultimate goals of the program. Could we bring in a student who never thought that college was an option, move that college going rate, close those equity gaps that are surrounding students who are, are coming from an economically disadvantaged household? And then can we see results on the other side, an increase in the percent of students who earn a credential? So I would say the early days, there was a lot of learning. There was a lot of trying to figure out what the best next step was. Um, but also, I think the beauty was that we had a board that was willing to allow us to make mistakes and take risks and try a lot of things and keep what works, which is a value uh, at mm -hmm. Tennessee Achieves. And and so I feel like it was an incredible start and has led to this you know statewide success that we're having now. So the growth from Knox Achieves to Tennessee Achieves, we lost some of the bully pulpit. Um, Mayor Ragsdale was term limited. Mayor Haslam had moved on to governor's office. We had some private funds. I remember those early days walking into some of the neighboring counties here in Knoxville, and these people just looked at us like we had six heads each, um, saying we were here to, to offer their students free college. Talk just a little bit about that expansion from the one to the 27 prior to Tennessee Promise. I mean, it was hard work, right? We were getting in the car. I mean, you were with me. We were getting in the car at 4 and 5 a.m. in the morning to drive somewhere. Uh, I was like 30 at the time and you were 24 and we were like peddling an education program. And it, in many ways, it felt like it was a scam, I think, to people like, what's the catch? How many times did we get the what's the catch question in those early days? And you mean you're letting Bill Gates kid, there's no income cap. Even the students program? were asking us what the catch was. <laughs> I mean, it was just such a wild, I, I've never been in sales. I quite frankly don't think I would be very good at it, but it was like selling a program uh, to oftentimes communities where maybe higher ed has had been discounted up until that point. Like, you know, this idea of not everybody needs to go to college. And we were really trying to demystify that and, and speak from a place of putting the student at the center and let us come in and do all the heavy lifting, but we need your support so we can recruit mentors and, and you can open doors for us. And I, and then going back to Randy and saying, you know, we need X amount of dollars because we, we've we recruited this number of counties. And I remember flying over to Shelby County. Randy tells the story in, in his podcast, but flying over to Shelby County, trying to get Memphis off the ground. And I mean, it was just incredible. It was an incredible um, 11 to 12 was such a wild ride of going to communities that I had never been to before, many of which looked like my hometown though. And I felt like, again, I could leverage, like I came from a place that looks a lot like this. And I was a kid that went to your high school and, and trying to find that relatability, but also providing them with the statistics, like look where, what, what progress we've made in Knoxville. So I think it was storytelling and understanding our audience, all of which we continue to talk about at Tennessee Achieves, but also providing the hard data to say like, we're in this for the long haul and, and we really wanna see some movement in your community so that we can provide a workforce to bring in business and industry, right? We just sort of tried to weave in all those stories, it's fun.
exhausting. It was exhausting. It was a lot of fun to go to those new counties together. And then Tennessee Promise hits. We were projecting, based on our six years of data, 30,000 students to apply, nearly 60,000 students applied, I think. And we talk about this often that um, one of the misconceptions of the success of Tennessee Promise was that it happened overnight. Um, Now that there were six years worth of work and data and uh, failures and successes and all those things in between, um, what was that moment like when... You know, I think there's an old video somewhere where we're sitting down with someone and like, what is the goal? And we talk about going statewide, but I don't think we ever really thought it would happen. (laughs) Certainly didn't think it would happen that quickly. But (laughs) the Tennessee promise moment and maybe that even that first year with all that growth, what was that like? Um, There were days that I didn't know if we were going to accomplish all that we had told everyone we could, quite frankly. I mean, we made some big promises because we didn't want to let Governor Haslam down, who had really taken our model statewide and we were so proud of that and certainly didn't want to let Randy and the board down. And But there were so many hard travel days, four and five counties in a day, trying to make sure we had what, three months to get the program up and running. There was a lot of pressure. I had an infant at home and also a toddler. And it was, it was a, again, sort of a wild ride. And I look back now and can't figure out how we accomplished so much other than the fact that I had such an amazing core group of people here, you leading that charge with Jackie and Megan and Amy and and Amanda and, and then, you know, Ben stepping in as the sort of beginning of of the Tennessee Promise wave. And and I think it was a t- certainly a team effort. But thinking about when we would sit down and you know these conversations with communities that felt such excitement about the fact that their students like for the first time ever could have the opportunity and it wasn't about the high flying student it was about that student in the middle that just wanted to go to college and maybe their parents couldn't figure out financially how to get there and for me every hard day we would have somebody that would say something to us like that and it would just make it all worth it sort of feel that way now right even when we have hard days if if we get one kid like sort of over a hump, then it, it's been a, a worth it day at Tennessee Achieves. Yeah, I remember sitting in Mayor Wharton's office one day and him talking about if we could change to the life, if we work, did all this work and worked so hard that if we could change one student's life that it was all worth it. And now fast forward 12 years into this, 383,000 students, 100,000, almost 100,000 students have gone to college um, with assistance from Tennessee Achieves. When you um, look back over those 12 years, like you have a, you ask Randy this, I stole this from this podcast, but do you have a proudest moment? Gosh, I have so many proud moments. I have internally proud moments when I think about how far the team has come and how we all continue to be so ingrained with the values and culture of Tennessee Achieves. Uh, and so that, that makes me happy. I think we have a, a one of a kind team that, everyone wakes up every day thinking about students and it's not about Tennessee Achieves and it's not about ego or credit. The fact that we've built that organization um, that really is student first, like that makes me happy, honestly, every day. Uh, I have the day that the first cohort of students enrolled in college. I remember we were all head down trying to like sort of put out, I mean, it was a fire sort of day, which is my 
favorite day. You know this, I like live and swim and breathe in chaos. And so it was one of those chaotic days, but I thought like we're there. Like we got all these counties on board. All the county mayors had signed off on a partnering organization and, a, and the students are now on campus. So it's less about the announcement. Being there was amazing when the governor announced it. But for me, it's always been about implementation of work. And once like we had seen the first class go in, I knew like, it may not be um, downhill from here, but it certainly can't be any harder than it was in three months to get this program up and running and to have more students than we ever dreamed going in in a fall semester. You mentioned Ben earlier. Uh, we Ben was on our first podcast. If you haven't listened to that one yet, it's definitely worth checking out. But Ben was a Knox Achieve student from that first class. Um, we now have several other staff members that have gone through Tennessee Achieves and Tennessee Promise. What's it like for you to see that full circle, to see the students that, um, I mean, you've known Ben Logger and you've known me for 12 years now, but uh, what is it like to, to bring those students full circle, to see them in their first job and their first job being here? Yeah, I mean, I think that's what we set out to do, seeing individuals like Ben, who, like me, was the first in their family, go to college, reach their potential and then some. I mean, I watched Ben grow up from a 17-year-old, you know, redheaded boy to now a father of two. And um, when I think about it, I get real teary-eyed, you know how much I love Ben. And so, um, but thinking about the the Emily's and the Lexi's who are here coaching our students, like what a lovely full circle moment that is, not only for them, but also for our students. The fact that they are communicating with our first time freshmen and saying like, I was just there. I graduated from Halls High School too. And I went through the Tennessee Promise Program too. And then I transferred on. I mean, how lovely is that for our students to hear that and to be grounded in like, look what I can do. Uh, and I, I think that it's amazing that we've been able to bring on so many of our students. Christine in Memphis, what an inspiration I'm sure she is to all the students that she's been coaching over the last three years. So um, I love it. You talked a little bit about the culture that we've built here at Tennessee Chiefs. I agree with you in thinking that it's really unique, having worked in a handful of places before this and prior to this. But also know that you are a student of leadership, um, that it's something that you spend a lot of time on. Um, we were talking earlier today about how sometimes it feels like we don't get to work with students a lot anymore. We've got <laughs> such a larger team than what we were accustomed to. Um, why do you think it's so important to invest time in the team? Um, why is that so important to you that we get that right here? First of all, I feel like I owe it to those who come here. Um, I, because I'm a, a, a student of leadership, I feel like being a good leader means that you are constantly thinking about how to grow and develop and foster leadership in others. Um, I want everyone here to be the best version of themselves. But also, they're representing a brand that is very much a piece of me. I mean, you can't really separate Chrissy D'Alejandro from Tennessee Achieves. And so when you go out to speak to students and families, I want you to come from a place of, of really understanding what it means to be part of the Tennessee Achieves family, that you know we value students first, we're incredibly mission-driven. Honesty is a value for us that we try to be not only honest with each other, but honest, honest with our stakeholders. And, and so thinking about who we are putting out in front of students and the message that they are relaying to our students and families 
uh, is something always at the forefront of my mind. So I think the the best asset we have in this work are the human beings who work for Tennessee Achieves. And so investing in them, incredibly important to me and to you and to the entire senior staff. It's not just me alone, right? Right. No. And I think it's something that um, you've instilled in all of us um, to make sure that I think we do a really good job of, uh, I'll put our team up against anybody. That's, that's I agree. Large or small team, I'll, I'll put our team up against anyone. Um, when you look back, you know, 12 years ago, it was last dollar scholarship, mentors, community service. Um, today, there are summer programs. There is a coaching model, not to mention that we've gone from 493 students to 63,000 and 181 mentors to almost 10,000. Um, you ask Randy what what he thinks the next five years look like. What do you think the next five years look like? <laughs> Did this to me on purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what the fi- next five years will look like. And I'm very comfortable with saying, I don't know. But here's what I do know. I know that we will continue to be student-centric. I know that we will continue to take risks. I know that we'll always come from a place of having fire in our bellies to do something bold and outrageous, if it feels like it's going to best serve students and families in Tennessee. I hope that we continue to have conversations with communities across uh, the country about modeling work similar to Tennessee Promise, because quite frankly, I feel like every student deserves the opportunities that are granted to our students in Tennessee uh, I what also, would you say to those other states, other organizations that are trying to model this? Like, what's your one piece of advice? Start moving. Uh, stop planning and stop whiteboarding and start moving. I mean, we didn't have it all figured out in the beginning. And I certainly don't think that we still have it all figured out. I mean, we're still evaluating our program. We're still looking at our metrics. We're still talking to students and families every day. And that's informing what we will do next. And so I would say you're never going to have it all figured out. Find a champion and then start moving. What is 12 years into this work? What is, um, you, know, you and I talk about burnout a lot with mm-hmm. our staff and making sure that none of our staff feels there, that we don't feel there, that um, everyone continues to be excited to come to work at Tennessee Achieves every day. What keeps you excited to come to work at Tennessee Achieves every day? I love the challenge. I love that we're still not, while I truly believe this team has made a dent in the universe, I still think there's so much work to be done. And so thinking about how do we take, you know, I I was just talking with Jackie recently um, about this whole data project we've been working on. We have a large, a very large group of students that complete a FAFSA, Tennessee leading the country every year in FAFSA file, but are not directly pursuing post-secondary. And so for me, that feels like low-hanging fruit. So what do we know about those students in terms of motivation or what don't we know maybe is a better question and how can we start moving the needle? So I'm still incredibly motivated by the questions that we haven't answered yet, the students that we haven't uh, reached yet. Uh, and, you know, I do hope over the next five years that we've reached our state's drive to 55 goal, 55 percent. Uh, post-secondary attainment by 2025. But I think we need to even start looking beyond that because what we're doing now to serve students, as we both know, won't be working for us in five years. We got to be agile and malleable and willing to change. And so um, I hope that's what we always sort of keep at the forefront of our minds. 
think that's a good way to kind of wrap talking about the work, but I know that you've ended all of these podcasts with three questions. So um, you should be prepared for these LEs. So if you could have coffee with anyone, who would that be? Gosh, that's such a hard question for me because I feel like I have so many uh, people that, um, that I would love to sit down and have a conversation with. Um, I think FDR would be someone that I would be wild about having a conversation with. Uh, JFK would be someone. I mean, minor, Ronald Reagan. I have all these like political pres- nerd is coming out again. <laughs> I have like you know Chief Justice Roberts. Just what what was happening you know a month ago in our country's history? Like what was his mindset? So I have so many people that I would love to pick their brains about sort of why they choose policies that sort of shape. I mean, you think about like what FDR brought to national government. Why, why did he think that it was the right time? I don't know. I, I think I have so many people that I would like to sit down and have coffee with. So, so much to learn. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a hard question. Lots it is a hard question. What about the book? Favorite book? Okay, so this one, as you know, is very hard for me because I am an avid reader. So I feel like mine's ever changing. But my current favorite book, and you have read this book now, is mm-hmm. the Bob Iger, new Bob Iger book, which is on my desk and called The Ride of a Lifetime. We're going to explore it at our next staff retreat. But I love his story of really starting at the bottom and through like hard work and opportunity, finding his way to the top of Disney. And I love his, the, the way the book unfolds, as you know, um, is through storytelling. And so you sort of learn lessons uh, that are entrenched in stories that, that he's sort of reliving in the book. And so I love that. And your favorite college class? My favorite college class, so I had several favorites, but I will say I had two professors that were that I took multiple classes from uh, that were game changers for me. One that I mentioned earlier, Barclay Ward. I probably took every political science class that he took at Swanee. Um, he was this quirky. He is this quirky, uh, sort of unrelenting uh, Soviet scholar who I was just fascinated by everything, um, about him. He was so smart and, um, he was very much, um, the first professor at Swanee that I think saw potential in me that saw that I was more than I thought I was. Um, and that was sort of a a big moment for me. Um, and then I have a great story about, um, my chemistry professor, um, who I told you took me in. I didn't love chemistry, but I loved how he put students first. And I often think about like, had he not given me a chance, I probably would have failed chemistry in my first semester. Mm-hmm. And uh, my like trajectory at Swanee could have been very different. So John Bordley sort of saved me in many ways. So I don't know if that was my favorite class because I was just a nightmare at chemistry, but um, I certainly appreciated uh, what he brought to the table for me in terms of throwing me a lifeline when I needed it. Yeah, someone else who struggled in chemistry it doesn't rank is my favorite class. <laughs> it's not your favorite class. <laughs> it's not my favorite class. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But I um, appreciate you letting us kind of turn this around on you today. I'll be honest, when I told you that I wanted to do this, I thought you were going to say no. Uh, so I'm really glad that you um, <laughs> took some time today to talk a little bit more about um, your personal story. Um, again, I've always been so impressed that you are so willing to share that personal story. And I think that in the work that we do, it's just so powerful. Um, so thanks for taking that time. And uh, I know while I've heard a lot of these stories before, I think hearing that Tennessee Achieves creation story from your point of view is uh, really exciting. So thank you for sharing all that with us. Thanks, Graham. This is fun. And I'm thankful for you. I hope you knew that. Well, couldn't imagine doing this with anyone else um, and the team that we've created here together. So thanks so much. And um, for those listening, I hope you'll join us again next time.